Hi, I'm Reverend Carol Saunders, host of The Spiritual Forum. I'm here with a lot of interesting people who are consciously walking the spiritual path, experiencing and expressing the divine in unique ways and through unique lenses. Everyone here has wisdom to share and an interesting story to tell, all to inspire you on your spiritual path. Welcome to The Forum. Welcome to the Spiritual Forum, everyone. I'm so glad you're here. I have a great guest today, and I can't wait to introduce her to you. But first, I want to just acknowledge all of you and how you support this podcast. I want to send a special shout out to John, who donated to the podcast. This is a donation-based podcast, and if you're interested in donating, you can go to the spiritualforum.org and just kind of scroll down, and there's a blue button. And you scroll a little further down, there's a yellow button. And it's just a way to give small or large just to support this ministry, which is a message of hope, inspiration, and awakening in the world. So that's my run-up. I hope everyone's having a fabulous day. Now, this guest I am putting ahead of some others. I want to publish this one before Thanksgiving because I think her message will be really great to take to your heart at your Thanksgiving table. <laughs> that's my thought. So let me introduce you to Martha Creek. She's a self-employed ministry consultant, speaker, coach, minister, leader, and workshop facilitator. Ordained in religious science and divine science, she served in a ministerial role in both religious science and unity churches. Martha's extensive background and specialized training, among that is Seminary, Hoffman Institute, the Byron Katie International School, Healthy Congregations and Family Systems, Lombard Mennonite Peace Center, and more, these trainings support her in being able to deliver a great deal of information in a profoundly simple, dynamic, and attainable way. Her latest book is Presence and Potential, Experiencing Your Higher Self and Live in Wholeness. This is a book for anyone. I want to really stress this. This is not just for church people. This is a book for anyone with a desire to increase their leadership and lower their anxiety. So whether you're a parent, a president, or a person in any kind of leadership, I think you'd benefit from this book. Martha's vision and mission are concise and clear. Go within or go without. Welcome, Martha. Thank you, Carol. It's such a joy to be here. And your mission is a mission I want to uplift for this podcast. And it's an honor to be any part of that. I was a part of your leadership program. I don't remember when that was, eight or 10 years ago or so. And so I was a part of your leadership program and went on your retreats and really benefited greatly. And this is leading my church in Deerfield, Illinois. And so I can personally vouch for your wisdom and your ability to support people in leadership positions. It was just an incredible experience for me personally. Thank you, Carol. It's my wholehearted uh, desire to get tenets like this of leadership and it made my day, made my tail wag to hear you say this book is for everybody or anybody that wants to have an easier, better time of it, regardless of if they identify as a leader or not. And some of the people that were working with me on the book were like, you cannot say that a book is for everybody. It's not true. And I'm like, it is true. It is true. I can say it. I want to say it. Uh, it's like, you've got to nail it down. You got to put it in some categories or something. And we, we have and do, and we do whatever we've got to do. And you don't have, God bless you for saying, you don't have to identify as a leader to benefit from the practices and the tenets here of how to regulate our own pulse before we take any action or fire off an email or 
make any kind of reactive gestures to folks. There's a pause in there that can benefit anybody I've ever met, including me. And I'm still practicing and, and as devoutly as possible. I completely agree, Martha. Not only is this book for everyone, whether they're a leader or not, I don't think it has anything to do with church or religion. I think that you can be any spectrum of you know, spirituality or unspiritual, whatever. This is, this is really about having good relationships and, and living a full life without being entangled in all the stuff that we normally get entangled in. Um, but before we dig into your book and before we dig into your teachings, I'd, I'd really think it'd be great if people could learn a little bit more about Martha Creek and who she is and where you've come from to be at this place where now you're inspiring and teaching people about maintaining their anxiety, controlling their anxiety, and just having a better life. Well, thank you. It's, it's interesting because I've been living these principles most of my life. I didn't have a context for it, but I was born in Bug Tussle, Kentucky, a very rural part of Kentucky near the Tennessee border, to a family that was unchurched. Now, if you ask them if they went to church, they probably would have said yes, because that it had so much guilt and shame at not going to church, they would have had to pretend they go to church. And I wanted to go to church as a kid. And my mother, in her wise, wise way, said, oh, you want to go to church? Then find you a way to go to church. So that's what I did. And I'm a rabid overachiever. And I went right around calling the neighbors, going, do you go to church? Do you go to church? And where do you go to church? And I started going to some of the churches around with some of the neighbors to see what they were about. And I had enough self, even as a little kid, that I knew that some of their beliefs just didn't align with mine. And strangely, it was okay. I didn't try to make myself wrong or to get in like a square peg in a round hole and believe what they believed. And I had a strange acceptance of just they believe what they believe. It's simply not what I believe. So I didn't, I wasn't as apt to absorb somebody else's belief or take on their beliefs. Even as a kid, I had enough self that I was able to question what I believe and have some acceptance and tolerance to other people that didn't believe the way I did. So I went to Sunday school. I found a way to go. I love my Sunday school teacher. And it was about, she really took to me and would assign me scriptures to memorize and things like that. I got to be the teacher assistant. So I got to, I got to have a great life in church going just for the love of learning and seeing actually what do I believe and what is the basis of my beliefs. And I knew as a small child, I was a minister. And I even said that. I have a distinct memory of saying, what are you going to be when you grow up? And I said, a minister. And it got a lot of laughter initially because that's very, very funny because there's no women ministers, period, period, period. So this dreamy little child here that thinks she's going to be a minister is in some la-la land. So I simply didn't say it anymore. I just, I could see that they didn't get this, that they didn't believe this. and that I couldn't help that they didn't believe it, but I was clear as a bell that it was true for me. And then I set a goal that when I'm turned 40 years old, wherever I am in life, whatever I've accumulated, whatever I've acclaimed, whatever position I'm in career-wise, I'm going to stop it and go serve ministry 
and ministers, ministries, and I'm going to do it for the rest of my days, starting at age 40. So I set a goal to retire from whatever I was doing. So I kept some kind of spiritual education going. I've, con- I've done seminary training. I've, I've, I've done comparative religions. I've uh, tasted many mystery schools and Hoffman Institute. And, and you see, even from the bio, you can see, Carol, that I have been in an educational process, spiritual education process, and emotional education process, psychological education processes all of my life. And I'm still enrolled. And I then lead trainings and I'm on the faculty at Unity for their seminary training. And I still am enrolled as a student myself. So my spiritual journey is still unfolding. I still question what I believe and why I believe what I believe. And I still do my darndest to not put my beliefs off on other people, that they have the right and the responsibility to believe and think the way they do. And they're welcome and entitled to their own convictions. And it's not my place or an integrity for me to put my beliefs off on other people. And for me to then to spend my time, and that little quote came from going within, going within myself and seeing what caused me to have that trigger, going inside me to see where that righteous judgment is rooted and my indignation or my attitude or anything else and working there to clear the projector of my own mind instead of working endlessly and aimlessly to try to change the projection. So I'm still a work in process, being and becoming whatever might be possible for me in this evolution and certainly intent and practiced and, and convicted devoutly to some degree to um, doing what I can with me and being at the end of my life and having less regrets about how my time was spent and what I was here to do. So hopefully fewer regrets based on how I'm living today. Wow. Okay. You packed a lot in that. I mean, just a lot. I want to start with the, the child because, you know, Martha, I think you're the only other person that I know who I was the same way. When I was a little girl, I wanted to go to church. <laughs> I Almost everyone I know wanted to get out of church. You know, I don't want to go to church. I don't want to go to church. And they felt that they were stuck in this religion and they, they spent their whole adult life getting rid of that and leaving all that. And I like you, I found friends that I could go to church with. I think that's really, really interesting. I, I did not have any sense that I would become a minister, not one. So that's definitely a place where I depart from you. But I think that's just really interesting that a little soul, or a, a, probably an older soul in your case, knows what she's after. And and it's just the opposite of the peers, because most kids are trying to get out of church. And here we're trying to clamor to get in those doors. Well, and it, it's it's like, let's go see what it's all about. Yeah. <laughs> What's what's going on over there? What are yeah? yeah. And I love that early on you had a sense about tolerance and being tolerant of other people's beliefs, and it didn't you didn't have to force that it fit or it didn't fit. I kind of I kind of get that too. I I think that letting people have their own beliefs is one of the most important things that's facing us right now. And this is what I like so much about your book. First of all, it's very easy to read. It's short chapters. Uh, people who've listened to me a lot know I love short, short, short chapters because you can pick it up anytime and just 
open it up and read that chapter and go, oh, okay, I see what is for me. And I don't have to get stuck into all big, long chapter that, that it's going to take me forever to get through. And, and every single chapter has something to do with each one of us. But I think we're facing now, and this is why I want to have this published before Thanksgiving, because I think we're facing now just, it's, it's so important for people to distinguish who they are, what they believe, and make everybody wrong who's outside their little bubble. And it's really popular to just kind of annihilate the other people out there, whether it's political beliefs or religious beliefs or I mean, I can I can name a hundred different ways to divide us. And that's why I think the work that you're doing in publishing this book is so important. And it starts in the family, I think, don't you think? Absolutely. And that's where the root system went in place, you know, and we're still, that root system is still ruling. And the underworld, which is primarily unconsciousness in us, with the biases we have and the prejudices we have and all that, we don't even know that we have them. They're so unconscious. They're so deeply ingrained in us. And one of my teachers used to say, you know, it, you're carrying one flag without looking at what's in your bones and blood. So even if we're waving one flag and claiming we believe another, we're still under the effects of what our familial upbringings was and domestications. And often we either we, we may go along with them exactly like we don't even know where they begin and end and where we begin and end. But otherwise we went, I'm, I'm going to be the opposite of that. I'm not going to I'm not going to be like them. I would never, ever do something like what they would do. And that becomes just as violent. That becomes just as problematic to take such an opposing stance on that as as aligning with them. And instead of saying we're we're on a spectrum here all of us, a human spectrum, and nature informs us about this, just like drought and flood. And nobody I know would say, I'm all for drought. Oh, yeah, let's have some drought. And nobody's going to say, well, yeah, bring on some floods. And drought is included, and flood is included. And it's far beyond my comprehension what the value of drought is <laughs> or what the value of a flood is. And I have to surrender to there's something going on in, in a higher consciousness than mine that would know how to balance things that may include some drought and flood. And I have to accept that in the human spectrum too, honey. The, the extremists, the extreme positions and things like that represent, like in nature does the drought and the flood. And I've got to be careful that I don't collude with it to keep peace at any price or to avoid conflict or to avoid an uncomfortable conversation, it's like I've got to be able to bear where they stand and allow them to stay there. And one of, one of, one of my biggest things I'd say is I have to allow for people to keep their suffering. Uh. Not only to have suffering, but to keep their suffering. And as a, you know, I say most of us in these professions got a helper gene we got a whole, we didn't get just a helper gene. We got a whole strand in our DNA is around helping people. And no, we don't, no sane person wants to see another person suffer and suffering's included. Mm -hmm. That's one of the chapters of your book that I dog-eared. <laughs> the one that's about, um, accept that pain, tension, and suffering are part of the human learning system and that there's this false belief that we can stop suffering. It's, it's really an ego trap. That's, it's one that traps me 
repeatedly this idea that I could control, not control that person, but I can control the circumstances in some way so that they can avoid suffering. And it's an illusion <laughs> because I can't. Say it again. Say it again. Say it loudly. It's an illusion. It's an illusion. It's an illusion. I can't. And what? And how many decades? Yeah. And it's so much rooted. In, it's rooted in a couple of things that I think I have that much power. That's an interesting ego thing. Like, I am so powerful that I could actually impact this whole circumstance so that that person won't suffer. I have that much power. And the other thing is, it's also rooted in me not wanting to experience suffering because when they suffer, I suffer. And selfishly, I don't want to suffer. Absolutely. It's, I mean, that's the summary of it, honey, that we're so uncomfortable in it. We're trying to restore our own yeah. comfort and haven't learned how to restore our comfort depending on them being comfortable yeah. versus a, a, a leader, a parent, certainly if you've raised kids, have had to learn this, that I've got to find a way not to let my comfort hinge on whether they're comfortable or not. Yeah. And just as an aside, it's easier when they're little than when they're adults. Grown, grown children, it doesn't get easier. Spoken from experience. <laughs> Spoken from experience. Another part of the illusion. Right. Okay, say more. Is well, your, just yeah. that, that it's going to be easy. When right, up. right. It should be easier when they're not kids. It's going to be easy. Right. It's like. No, <laughs> no. It, it, there's a whole level of complexity that happens there. Yeah, I think about. I keep coming back to this Thanksgiving dinner conversation because on social media, I know there's so many people who they're always worried about coming together with family and, you know, what's Uncle Joe going to say and is, is so-and-so going to bring up politics and what am I going to do and what am I going to say and how do I speak my truth and, or should I just be quiet and these kinds of anxieties that happen around family, the family table and that at the same time, this is an opportunity to, to, to be connected and to stay connected and find ways to be connected, regardless of how, where anyone stands on anything. And there are people who just want to survive that, that situation by being quiet. And then there are those that have to like assert <laughs> who they are and make everyone wrong. And I, I wonder if we can just talk through this. I don't know if you want to talk through some of your chapters or if you just want to talk generally around the dinner table, which I know is not so much about leadership, but it is about functioning with lower anxiety. It absolutely is. And it's, you know, it's about differentiating ourselves. So that's what high level leadership is about a differentiated leader, somebody that knows what their roles and responsibilities are and where they actually have power and where they don't, and it's not clueless about where their delusions are either, and illusions. And this little book is, can be helpful at any Thanksgiving table because it's like when I go in there to that table, first of all, expecting them to be different than they are is my own sabotage. You know, one of my friends took an issue with me when she went, you just make this all sound so easy, Martha. It's not easy. And is it too much? For me to ask for me to drive up to my family and see my mother smiling at the back door instead of frowning like she always does. And I said, well, of that is too much to ask, honey. Yes. And she, oh, you see, here you go again. It's like, how old is your mother? 
93. And how many times has she come to the back door and smiled when you drove up? None. So now you, 93 years, you're 63 or 65 or whatever. So 65 years, this has never happened. And you're still running in your mind this fantasy that you're going to have a different mother at the back door than you've ever had in 60 some years. This is a beginning of hell. Yeah. Instead of, I've got to take that fantasy down. I've got to take the fantasy down of having a mother other than the mother I've got, who so far in 60 some years has not smiled once at the back door when she came to greet me. So we can start there. So we go to the table, not in some kind of fantasy that they have got, they've had a, trans, a transformation since last Thanksgiving. Like they're at the table with their same beliefs, their same convictions, their same ideations, their same theologies, their same foundational beliefs as I left them last Thanksgiving. So I'm praying and praying that they're going to have a transformation. So they'll think like me by the time I get there this Thanksgiving. So we cannot sabotage ourselves with that. So then we can go into a conversation equipped. This is predictable. I know where they stand on these things. And I can go in, for me, I go in somewhat committed to interrupting my own patterning. And my pattern is to stay quiet, to not share, to not, not upset the apple cart, peace at any price. And I don't want to do that always. I want to grow myself up that I can say, you and I don't agree on that. We already know that we don't agree about it. And I, I can still understand where you're coming from. I don't dislike you over that. I certainly won't stop loving you over that if I can help myself. And I don't have any delusion that we're ever going to think alike on that or that we're going to agree on these matters. So it's for me, it's like, Carol, like naming the ghost. You know, we have very different stances on this matter. We have very different opinions about this. And if you want to discuss it or something, I'm open to that. And I'm a little cautious, too, because I don't want to go into a discussion over this if it's going to end up in a in a blow up of some sort or somebody getting mad and losing their temper and stomping off or something like it's the last thing I want during our family gathering. So if there's a possibility here that we can talk about it and still be respectful or civil or something, I'm open. And if we have to say, I can't do it, let's just set it aside as a topic. Like we already know we have very disagreeing differences here. So we can set it aside as a topic and, and have a just enjoy a meal or an afternoon or a ride on the farm or whatever else we're going to do that we don't have to kind of dig in the wound you know, that we already know is here either. So I'll try to interrupt my patterns and not be as rigid as I have been. And I'm also not going to go in delusional that they have had a transformation or changed the way they believe and think about most things since the last time I talked to them. Yeah, I think that's a very rational approach, also an open-hearted approach. But what you just described to me is almost like metaphorically setting a table, but you're setting the table for your relationship during this time. So like I put down the tablecloth, set, I'm setting the plates and the plates are things like, you know, we know that you and I don't agree on these things. <laughs> we're, we're setting these boundaries here. We don't agree on these things. Uh, you know, put the utensils down, but I'm willing to have a conversation with you if we're both willing to listen 
and not expect the other one to change and keep our mind and hearts open and just share ideas. Or or we'll go to another table. But are you interested in having a conversation with this table setting? And that's something we don't know how to do. We're not equipped to do that. We we just rush into things or we react because or so-and-so said something and, oh, that just really gets gets to me. But to go in, I think is, I think what you're saying is really important, to go in with the, the same people they've always been. I, I may also be the same person I've been. I have to look at, have I changed in the last year? And, and if I want to have these conversations, let's talk about having the conversation before we have the conversation. I mean, I think that's really useful about if we're going to have this conversation, here's some boundary conditions. Do you agree to them? And then see where it goes. Because I think these kind of conversations are really interesting. I personally think conversations where you have differences of opinion, I think we really need to understand what is it that you think? Because if I don't know what you think, or if you don't know what I think, what we do next is we, we, maybe not everybody, but most people make up, make it up. Oh, you you always think this, or you always think that, and and then we kind of get into something else where we're mind reading, and and then we've created a whole structure around that person based on not even a thing they've said. So that's why I think these conversations are important to have if we can have them, even when we completely disagree. I think so too. And for me, I live. I'm I'm leading this group. That's this extraordinary leader group. Actually, I added a book this year. For this eight-month process, include called untethered living, oh, yeah. and one of the quotes from this week is, "Make and which is right for this Thanksgiving dinner scenario you're describing here, Carol, is not to let anything happen, not to let whatever happens affect me so greatly that I close my heart down. So how can I stay in a conversation, in a disagreement, even in an argument?" even in a conflictual energy, an intense energy, and not let my heart close down to the people that's there. And that's been helpful to me over the years that I can say, I'm not saying no to you, my brother. I'm saying no to what you're asking me. Mm -hmm. So it's a yes to you and it's a no to the transaction. It's a yes to you and it's a no in supporting what you're asking me to support. I can't do that. So a yes to you is my family, a yes to your heart, and a no to the request, and a no to the stance. And me keeping a differentiation in that has made all the difference in the world. So hard on issues, softer on people. Mm. No to that issue, no to that request, and yes to you as a human being. And that he that keeps me from getting any more rigid or afraid or panicked or righteous when when I can hold that too. That's helpful. Yeah, I remember from your leadership program that I was in years ago, the one you were just describing. I, I one of the things that stuck with me, and I think it was part of family systems theory. I'm I'm not sure, but the importance of staying connected, and I've used that in my own coaching and counseling as a minister as that how important it is to stay connected, unless you're in some sort of dangerous or abusive situation, but short of that, that we stay connected to our, our family, whether we have anything in common with them at all, 
or whether we have a huge political or religious or social chasm between us, that we still reach across the aisle and, and stay connected. And I think I was so sad to see so many families torn apart like during the COVID years and just over different philosophical understandings or different bits of information that they got from different news sources. <laughs> And, and families split and marriages split. And I, I, I am happy to say that we did have a difference, a big difference in our family, but we did stay connected. We did stay connected. And I don't say that because, oh, wow, how cool, look at us. I just know how important it is. And, and that's one of the things that I've really taken to heart, that, that whatever you can do to stay connected, and I think exactly what you just said, to differentiate the decision or the action from the person so nothing's personal and you just keep your heart open to that person because when your heart's open to that person they feel it i mean they know it they feel it and and that's what everybody i think at our core we want it's absolutely the truth and that that speaks to what we've been taught particularly this last decade about the power lies in the vulnerability the potential lies in the vulnerability and having a pretty big conversation with one of my close, close family members. And they were worried to, and this was during this time, this COVID time, and they were absolutely anti-vaccine, absolutely no way, no how, and very strong and very clear about why. And I was, I went and got a vaccine and I didn't discuss it or really bring it up a lot. I didn't talk a lot about it. Nor was I intentional to do that. And one day I said, I, just like, well, hey, what are you doing this afternoon? And it was, I'm headed over to get the vaccine. And it was a panic. They panicked. Like my life was at risk. So I had a deeper insight that this is more to it. And we actually could talk about it. And I said, he said, I'm worried if you get that vaccine, it will hurt you. And I said, exactly. And I'm worried if you don't get the vaccine, that will hurt you. So our thinking was exactly right. the same. If you get the vaccine, it'll hurt you. If you don't get the vaccine, it'll hurt you. So to find that common ground in a very intense situation was very beautiful. It was quiet. There's not been another word spoken about it since because we had some kind of understanding that until you can dare to go there, then you would just think, oh, that's crazy. That's insane. Follow the science or that you're crazy. You know, you're falling under a spell. It's instead of like at the root of that, it was caring about my yes. family members. Yes. You had a common humanity and it was love and care and concern and you know, that's what's so interesting about these like different sides of things. When we get down to it, we all we all want to feel safe. We all want to feel loved. We all want to feel cared for. We all we all want to be surrounded by love and be a part of that. And and yet we spend our time out on this peripheral cir circumference of events <laughs> that cause us to be upset with each other. So how beautiful it is that you could, you could open your hearts to each other and say, I just love you. I care about you and I'm worried. And, you know, that's what we have in common. And, I, and we each take responsibility for
for our decision. You aren't really responsible for me Absolutely. and I'm not really responsible for you. And allow them to stand where they mm -hmm. stand. Mm -hmm. And just because they stand there doesn't mean I have to stand with them in that belief. I can stand with them as a human being, as a family member, somebody I care, and I don't stand with you mm -hmm. in that belief. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's a great example. And I think that is one of the things that really divided us. So I want to go into a few of these chapters that are in your book, a few of the the topics that you have, I thought they'd be kind of fun to play with. Accepting differences between people. I think we have discussed that one. Refusing to be coerced. I thought the story of your little brother was really fa fabulous about your brother wanting to visit your father and you're standing your ground while you're still loving him. That that was a great one. Would you be willing to tell that briefly here? Absolutely. And it's it was Dr. Phil McGraw says it's defining moment or whatever his word for it is, like these defining moments in our life. That was definitely a defining moment in my life. And till to this day, I've got unspeakable gratitude for whatever was possible in me that day for me to define myself in that way and not shut down my heart to the love of my life. That little baby brother was the love of my life. He was born when I was eight years old, so he was my baby. And it it was his also um, he, my healing, some healing, because I had told him throughout his life, I won't do this, I won't do that, this is the last time I'm ever going to do that. And I didn't mean a uh -huh. word of it, because I could not not do it. So he was charming and charismatic and adorable, and he was just... I couldn't resist him. And this day when and when I had got clear about what was going to have to happen in this house for me to care for daddy and to do what I'm there to do for him, I can't be bringing in any into that intense drunk behavior and things like that. I couldn't I didn't have resources for all of it. So if I'm going to give all my resources to caring for daddy and what went on with what that took then I can't, you can't be in the house drunk, honey. You just can't. So he came and was his charming, charismatic, adorable self. And I had told him, of course, he can't come in. And he didn't believe it for a second because I'd never meant it before. And that particular night, that cold December night, I said, you actually can't come in, honey. And he went right from his, he went right down the flow chart of everything that had ever worked with me. That included charm and charisma and adorability. And when that didn't move me, he went to guilting me and shaming me. And this ain't your damn house. And you don't run the roost. And you think you're the boss of everybody. And you're not the boss of me. And this is my daddy. And, and I was able to say, you're right. You're right. You're right. It's not my house. It is your father. I'm not the boss of you. You're right. You're right, you're right, and you can't come in. And then it went into threatening, threatening me. And then he went into threatening his own, his own life, that he would take his own life. And I, I don't know for sure, but that particular day, I was willing for that mm -hmm. to happen. I was willing for that to happen because... I was, he wasn't, you can't come in here. 
And thankfully, he didn't take his own life. Thankfully, he didn't freeze to death, which he was threatening to go sleep in the car in 12 degrees and he'd be froze to death the next morning. And he didn't do that. And at the end, he went through the whole flow chart of what had ever worked with me. And I didn't move. And I didn't shut my heart down to him either. And he left the house and he went right on down the road and found somebody to hang out with and talk to all night and sleep there just like he had done for decades. And what I and I don't even know if it's in the book or not, honey, but what I normally say about him is he was more resourceful drunk than the smartest people I know, which is saying <laughs> a lot. I know some smart people. He was more resourceful drunk than the smartest people I know sober. <laughs> and it was a defining moment for me um, to do what I believed I had to do um, to fulfill the role that I'd said yes to. What I love so much about that story is, first of all, you acknowledge that you created a pattern. You, you created who you've been up to that time. Like Martha has always been this person that would, could be charmed by the little brother or coerced in some way. And I, I know a lot of people have trouble with, uh, with children who have addictions or there are a number of examples of people who they keep trying to bail out of certain circumstances because they don't want this or that to happen. And it's, it's again, like we talked about before, part of that is you, well, I don't want to suffer because they suffer. But the fact that you, you drew a line in the sand there, it had to be really shocking to him. And I'm curious within yourself, did you have like, I have so much strength and fortitude here, or did you feel within yourself at that defining moment that you, you know, you could, there was a little wavering in you, but you've really got to, really got to fortify yourself. Did you feel like it was really clear and I was forti fortified? Okay. All right. All right. You knew. You knew. Yes. There's nothing in that moment. Now, I've wavered plenty and I still do. But in that moment, there was no wavering. It was clear as a bell thinking. It's like my heart was open. My heart was in front. I love him so much. It's, it's mysterious and you can't come in. Right. So it's like, here's, here's my stance and it's a still a no. And I think that's what's so interesting because people confuse their relationship, love, or their, the person being depending on that. They confuse that with always having to say yes or in some way helping them out versus I can love you and I can say no. I can love you and I will not do that, you know, and and there's so much power in that. And I, th I think people can hear that in your voice. There's so much power in that. Do you think he had any sense that you didn't love him? I don't. And I don't. Ultimately, I don't. But in that moment, he definitely likely felt like I don't love him because we have got a paradigm established in our mind. If you love me, you say yes. If you love me, you always say yes. If you love me, you go along with me. If you love me, you'll fulfill my request. If you love me, you give me what I want, which was formed as a three-year-old right. in our mind. When I get what I want, that's how I know they love me. So I don't know anybody, including me, that, that feels loved and has a big hard no delivered to them. So we equate their no meant they don't, they don't care about me. 
you know, I can't trust them. I'm not safe with them or they don't understand me or something until our mind clears with that. That had nothing to do with love. That love was there and it was a no to the request. Love was there. And she said, I can't come in if I'm drunk. Yeah. And it's two very different things, but most of us can't see it, honey. At least our, our seeing is very limited because we don't feel loved when they can't, when they, when they say no to us. Right. But it's also an act of self-love because, but saying no to being coerced is saying, I, I matter. My, my position matters. What I believe is right for me and my boundaries matters. So that's really directing love to the self as well. Absolutely. And speaks to where we're teaching them how to treat us. So if we, if I'm always willing, if I'm always the one that's going to, if I get coerced, charmed, threatened, whatever, and I'm the one that says whatever, I just fold, then I've taught them that. And I've heard parents speak about it for years that they ask me the same question 13 times. And after 13 times, I, I fold. I say yes. So now I've just taught them the code. You'll have to ask me 13 times. Everybody gets jacked up, a little moody, grumpy, grouchy. And as soon as the intensity reaches a certain level, I fold. So I've just told you my code. Yes. So we teach them what they have to do to get the, to, to get a yes out of us, even though it's an actual no. Yes. Yes. We're training everyone around us. Yes. Um, okay, the next one I want to talk about was keeping relationships open. And this is about gossip and about how we tend to triangulate things, you know, going into a corner with with a sister and talking about the other brother or whatever. And and this whole chapter is about keeping the conversation between two people, focus on your relationship with them and not bringing other relationships in, even though that's the human tendency to talk about other people. And so do you want to, do you want to share a little bit more about that? Yeah. And I want to start by saying triangles take a bad rap because I've heard, I've been teaching this and living years and they're like, go triangle, don't triangle with, with, so it misses the reality that triangles are the stabilizing force in most relationships. Okay. Triangling. So if you and I had agreement and I can go talk to Betty about it and sort myself out and process through it, get myself dialed down, then mine and your relationship is going to be better. So I just had a third party processing that actually helped. This is where therapies help, coaches, counselors, mentors, spiritual directions, because I can go rake my family members over the coal with somebody that's not going to hate them or change the way they see about them to keep my relationship and my family better. So triangles also serve a purpose. They're very helpful. Where they get problematic is when we are using the triangles to collude and actually side against somebody. So if I'm going to pull my sister over, for example, and talk to my brother about her and and not realize she is changing the way she looks at my brother. She's not just a listener for me. She's just not letting me vent this off that there's now two of us against one and nobody likes being in that out position. So the closer I get to my sister, the closer we feel and the like we've done something or we've taken power over him, 
the worse he's going to feel, even if he doesn't know this, this is energetic. So the energy of that collusion, the energy of us raking him over the coals is being projected to him. And there's nobody in the world, me or you or anybody else, that likes being in the out position. Mm -hmm. We don't want to be talked about. We don't want to be whispered about. We don't want to be judged. And we're doing it to people over and over and over again. So it's been helpful for me to say, and I have to do it in my own family. Like I'm, and I can do it to a degree. Like we got to talk about whoever's not here and their crazy antics and, you know, what they're up to. And some of that's fine. It's burning off energy as well as, you know, when you're not in the room, they're going to be doing the same. Oh, really? (laughs) To you, if you can accept that, then participate in it. And if you can't accept it, then simply say something like, I can't talk about her anymore and her not here. Because I know if she was here, she would have a different stance on this. Or I know that it would be hurtful for her if she knew that we were carrying on about her like this. So I can't do it anymore. And what I've said most is it hurts my heart. It actually hurts my heart to talk about somebody that means a lot to me when they're not even here to give us their perspective Mm -hmm. on this. So I don't want to talk about this anymore until she gets here or I want to talk about how it's affecting you or I can talk about how it's affected me, but I can't keep talking about her and her not here because it hurts my heart to do it. Oh, that's really beautiful. And I appreciate that you really clarified the triangle thing because I, I, we all benefit from, I just had this really upsetting conversation and what am I supposed to do? Just like keep it inside. It does help to be able to find somebody who I can talk through that with me and, and express my feelings and let my feelings not just be bottled up, let my feelings be processed, that that third person can really help in that situation. And so I'm really glad you, you distinguished that triangle from this other kind of gossip thing where this third person is even there to defend themselves. It's a, a, different, a different thing. Yeah, very different. So, so that we've got to have a third party to do this processing with. And family members can often do that. And the gossip becomes for me, it's like, just like lying. You know, people like, don't lie, don't lie. Lying's wrong. It's like everybody lies. Like it's part of the humanness uh-huh. of us that we lie about what we care about or what it's fine. It's fine when we don't really feel fine. And it's like, if, if you wouldn't mind to be gossiped about the way you're gossiping, then go ahead and do it. Go ahead and do it. But if you don't want to be gossiped about the way you're gossiping, sharing information that is not really yours to share is how I define it. Like gossiping is passing on information to you that's not really mine to pass on. That was information that belonged to somebody uh-huh. else. That's, that's something about their life that I have no business passing on to other people. And I still do it. We all, we all do to some degree. But I've also got to be willing if we believe in cause and effect, if we believe in quantum theory, that I've got to be willing for whatever I'm putting out there is also I'm, I'm putting more of that into the world. So then I've got to be willing for that to come back to me too, to know that I may share information with you 
And you didn't keep it confidential either, that you passed that on to somebody else. And to, and I could understand it because I do it when I get anxious or if I get afraid or you used to like ego, the word ego earlier in the call. I mean, that it's like that I want to be the first to know or I've got to demonstrate that I knew that before anybody else knew that or something like that. I mean, the, the allure of that is so strong yes. to be able to balance that and to say, I have information here that they don't have and I'm not going to share it because it doesn't belong to me. It's not mine to share. And I remember having a very intense conversation with my mother before she died about this because she found out somebody in, had died. And I said, Mom, I'm going to ask you, Mama, not to put that out on the Facebook because that information is not ours, ours mm -hmm. to share. That belongs to the family. And she said, yeah, but people would want to know it. I'm, I said, I can't stop you from putting it out there. That's up to you. I just feel strongly that this kind of information is for the family to share it on their own terms, not for us to be sharing about that family, even though it's caring. It's caring to want to put the word out. It's caring to want to even call for support. But I'm going to ask that you think about that. And it was for me to hear, <laughs> like how quick I might do that if I didn't have that pause in there to realize this information is not mine. Pause and the remembering of the law of cause and effect. I think those two things could keep us out of a lot of troublesome um, conversations. Um, yeah, we're coming up near the end. I think I just want to cover like maybe one, one or two more, and then we can close. I really like this being willing to learn and to ask the question, what is possible? Because I think we can go into this Thanksgiving dinner <laughs> and any situation with just like, how would it be if we went in with what's possible? What could possibly happen here? What's possible? And being open to learning something from that person, even though they have a whole different mindset than us. And, and that's restoring ourselves to that sense of, of wonder of a child, I think. And so perhaps you can expound on that and then, and then we can close. Well, that's curiosity is a superpower as far as I'm concerned. And the more I go in curious, the more I go in open-minded, willing to learn, willing to be informed and willing even to change my mind. I don't know that I will. I'm not going in trying to change my mind, but I'm willing to go in to learn something here. And that I'm absolutely going to do my darndest to find out why you think the way you do about something and where, where you stand on that. And it keeps me from getting more righteous over and over and over. And I'm in now the, the, the leadership program now, Carol, includes um, Richard Schwartz's work on internal family systems, IFS. And he describes these, how would you say it, like characteristics Yes, and characteristics of high-level leadership that includes connection, which you spoke to early in the podcast. This is a goal here, to stay connected even when we don't agree, to have a compassionate understanding of where they stand without having to stand where they stand, and to keep myself calmer when I don't agree, calmer when I'm listening to our differences, 
and creative, which is what you're, I think, pointing to here, honey. How can I go into this with a more creative thing? There's a place for all of us here that this is a tapestry. We're not all the same color. We, we, we don't all have the same weave. And there's still something beautiful about our, this symphony of humanity about it. And it's grounded then in a sense of confidence. And you used the word earlier that I'm equipped for this. Like I can have a crucial conversation. I can have a conversation where we differ and still be on a confident, grounded place about it. And it, the, to the degree that I can and not let emotions take over, I can keep my thinking clear. Therefore, my emotions are going to be more stable. I'm going to be calmer and more curious and courageous in where I'm willing to go here. So any of those, any of those eight C's, I used to say my three C's, which you likely you you said to stay calmer, stay connected, and stay the course was how I said it. And it's like to stay the course for what is true for me. And it may not be mm, mm, it may not be to their liking. My course may not be what they had in mind. And for me to stay in integrity to myself and to be in my own self-caring, which ultimately is for their caring, because when I leave myself and I don't treat myself very well, I don't treat other people very well either. So what appears to even be selfish is the opposite mm -hmm. of that. Well, Martha, this has been wonderful. I, I don't even think we've got into regulating our own responses, <laughs> but there's so much, so many gems in your book and in your teachings and in your leadership program. I, I could turn this over and make sure you have said everything that you want to say, or if you have any last words, I'll give you that opportunity now. Well, I'd love to do this again. So if this was meaningful to you, honey, let's look at doing another round of this and going into some of these chapters or getting more right. into this. I would I want this book to be out in the world. This is all printed to get empowered teachings to the whole of the planet. So I love that you've uplifted it here. I want to uplift it further. They can contact me, MarthaCreek.com directly. If I can be of any support to them individually, they're welcome to that. And I'm I'm open, honey, to 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 doing this again at any time and honored to be here in your space in the spiritual forum. To, um, to think myself again and to recommit myself to living this out for the rest of my days. Well, wonderful. I, I will have you back because I think we could talk about a lot of things. All of this is so relevant to people. It's so relevant to just living our lives and being related to people and not being upset and keeping our hearts open, remembering that we are loving people and caring people. And we just forget that when we get triggered. And so everything that you're saying and your book I think just really reminds us of our humanity and it's so needed now in the family and in the world. So thank you for doing the work that you do and to make our world a, a brighter place. And I appreciate you so much. I'll have your links on the webpage and on all of the show notes. And thank you listeners. I know you were enriched by this conversation. I completely trust spirit that people's hearts are touched by everything they were talking about today. So thank you, everybody. Thank you, Martha. And I now close the Spiritual Forum, but come back next week with my next guest. Thanks for listening. 
If you like this podcast, you can let me know by leaving a positive rating and review on your favorite podcast app or make a tax-deductible donation at thespiritualforum.org. The Spiritual Forum is a podcast, prayer, and retreat ministry affiliated with Unity Worldwide Ministries. Thank you again for being a part of the Spiritual Forum community. And remember, you are an amazing, divine, and powerful being. Thank you.